Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today's episode is a little different, as you'll be hearing me being interviewed by my dear friend, Annabelle Morgan. You may remember Annabelle from episode 20, where I was able to meet up with her face-to-face down in Montana. Annabelle is a rancher and an advocate for the beef industry and really all parts of agriculture. I am so thankful to have Annabelle as my self-proclaimed calf mentor. You may remember the story about when I picked up my two bottle calves, Taco and Bell, from the auction. Annabelle was my first phone call asking what the heck I was supposed to be doing. She was a big support for me when my sweet little Belle got sick, as well as Taco's number one fan. I really cannot thank her enough for all of her support and our friendship. So Annabelle put out the question on social media if people would be interested in hearing her interview me for the Rural Woman podcast, and the response was overwhelmingly yes. So I hope you guys enjoy the show today, learning a little bit more about me And I really hope that Annabelle doesn't take my job away from me. (laughs) But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. The review of the week comes from Sam Bolton, who you also may remember from episode number 24. She is one half of the Drink and Farm crew over at Drink and Farm podcast. The five-star rating and review is titled, The More Female Voices in Egg, The Merrier. Great podcast, excellent storytelling and interviews. This is one to listen to. It's well done. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for your kind words of the Rural Woman podcast. And make sure if you guys haven't checked out the Drink and Farm podcast, you definitely check them out too. These ladies are hilarious. And I would encourage you, if you've been enjoying the Rural Woman podcast, to leave a rating and review over on Apple. This helps with our rankings as well as you can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the Rural Woman podcast. And I also wanted to mention quickly that there are only 47 days left until Christmas. I know, I know I said the C word, and you may be wondering why this is relevant to this very podcast. Well, I am letting you know, I'm getting the PSA out there that you need to head on over to Shop Wild Rose Farmer to get your Christmas shopping started. So you can ensure that the awesome t-shirts, sweaters, toques, and hats are there in time for Christmas. Your purchase from Shop Wild Rose Farmer goes directly to supporting the World Woman podcast. So make sure you head on over to Shop Wild Rose Farmer and check out the new egg supporting egg merch and more. And without further ado, Let's get to today's interview with me, hosted by Annabelle Morgan. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. 
Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am your host today, Annabelle Morgan, and today we are interviewing, in a major plot twist, Caitlin Dubin. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so you are being a very good sport, and you're allowing your listeners and me to interview you instead this time for fun. Yes. And I know we all love your podcast. And I was actually listening to your um, one that was, you kind of did a podcast about all of everybody put together and kind of the highlight reel. And we all have such common threads, even though they're, we're all different. I think that's why I enjoy listening. And I appreciate there being a good sport about this. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. I'm a little nervous about the questions. Plus, I'm a little nervous about the host, to be honest, because really, I think my number one concern is the majority of my listeners are going to fall in love with you. And then they're going to be like, we would like <laughs> Annabelle to be the forever host of the Royal Woman podcast. Caitlin, get out of here. <laughs> I doubt it because we love listening to you and we love your Canadian accent. And I can't say rural. rural. So <laughs> it that's is very hard. It. I'm fired. Man. Okay. So what we did was we asked online, or I asked online, and there was actually a lot of questions, and I don't think we'll have time to get to them all. I kind of picked out some of my favorites. And if we have time, there's some extra ones, but these are all from listeners. And some asked a few, and I'm just going to probably do one from each person. So Okay. You have this all planned um, out. You're like the greatest podcast host of all time professional podcaster. Um, <laughs> obviously, because we did it in your hotel room last time, I know the whole deal. <laughs> you know all okay. of my secrets. <laughs> I do. I do. I know the whole thing. Actually, that was terrifying. Your computer screen with all these numbers and like, oh, man, no way. Anyway, <laughs> so the first question is, how do you think that social media is improving communication for farmers? Hmm, that's a good question. I think... Because farmers and ranchers and homesteaders, we are in a rural setting. We are away from the majority of other people, I guess. We are close to our neighbors, some of us. But other than that, we don't really have a chance to connect face-to-face. -face. So I'm thinking that online, we're able to connect with one another as well as share information about what we're doing on our operations. So I think that has been an improvement over the last 15 years or however long we've been doing this social media thing for now. And I think it's growing. And I think people are building these platforms that are not only expanding to build community with farmers and ranchers and homesteaders, but also people who are not directly involved in agriculture. Yeah, I agree. Has it been 15 years for social media? It seems like it's a long time now. I'm trying to think of it because like I'm trying to think of when I went on Facebook, I was in right. high school probably. Well, you're younger than me, but I think it was definitely in my early 20s. So yeah, I guess 15 years makes sense. Yeah. So I'm going to go from serious ones to silly ones because just to make it fun. 
Okay. So the next one is, did your gum gopher project work this year? So for people that don't know, Caitlin is an organic farmer. Obviously, if you're listening, you know that. And so when dealing with things like gophers, you have to come up with sort of inventive and different ways rather than poisoning or euthanizing. And so you use gum to kill them. So do you want to explain that and then maybe tell us how it works? Right. So I don't know if it's a wives tale or whatever it is, but my husband told me like, this is your job in the spring. Like you go shove gum down gopher holes. (laughs) So originally I think we were using, or he used double bubble, but then read somewhere on the internet that juicy fruit worked better. So we haven't patented this gopher killing technique by any means, but This year in the majority of our fields, so one of our fields I know that I was doing gopher patrol last year, I noticed that this year there definitely was not as many, but I'm not sure if it's because of the gum or if there was a badger over there. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, either way. Either way. (laughs) But uh, this year we had one of our dry land fields. It was really bad and it was really hard to control the gophers. And I think... What happened this year is we didn't necessarily get out there as soon as we would have liked. And when I say we and all that kind of stuff, it was me. Like, it's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> According to my husband, there's no we in this. Of but course it is. Yes. <laughs> but um, it's better if you go out in the spring, like, as soon as possible. Basically, as soon as the snow starts to melt. Because once they start breeding, that's when it's hard. Right. So, and the field is actually next to like our neighbor's kind of acreage homestead thing. And he breeds great Pyrenees dogs. So I think the dogs scare the gophers into the next field. So we got all of his gophers too. So at oh, least. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Paul, for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does work. You just have to be consistent with it. And like, it's not poisonous to your house pets or your farm pets or anything like that. If your goat eats some gum, like I think it'll be okay. Right. Like, just be blowing bubbles. But yeah, that's kind of <laughs> like, that's why we do it. We can't spray. We can't do anything in the sense of what a conventional farmer can do for gopher control. And a big side note is I'm not trusted with a gun. So that's another thing that you can do for gopher control is use a gun, but nobody trusts me with a gun. So, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I get it. Right. I actually don't, I'm not a hunter, but I do like shooting gophers. It's like the one thing I do every year. I don't know why. I feel like if somebody taught me how to use a gun, I'd be okay with it. But my hand-eye coordination isn't great. So like, I'll stick with juicy fruit. So <laughs> You're also so tall. You're so far away. I'm like really right up close to the gophers. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. That kind of leads into a more serious question. Someone was asking, and I think this is kind of a hard question because you can't obviously lay out what the organic standards are in Canada because there's so many. Right. But the question was, what are organic standards in Canada for grain farming and why did you switch over? The organic standards question is more of the husband question, if I'm being super honest with you. The process of switching over to organic actually started before I officially came onto the farm. So Justin and I have been together for seven years in November, and he started the process probably about six years ago of switching over to organic. 
And I can get into more of the reasons why we did it or why he did it versus what the actual standards are. There's obviously lots of information on the internet. So a Google search will give you more of that information. But obviously, grain prices are typically higher for organic grains that come off of your farm. So and becoming certified organic also kind of gives you an edge on that, I guess. So that was one thing. Prices obviously are better. But Justin also, he is like the most curious, interested person I've ever met in my life. He always has questions about things. He always wants to know why it's like this or how it can be better. So I think conventional farming was almost boring to him, which I don't want to offend anybody with that. But it's you plant, you spray, and you irrigate, and then you harvest in the fall. And that's all it was. So He was kind of looking for more of a challenge. And so organic farming is obviously a challenge because we are not able to spray like a conventional person does. And um, yeah, we have a whole different set of challenges as organic farming. So that's kind of one thing for him. And also, no, we didn't own any spraying equipment. So we're not necessarily the biggest farm around here, but we're also not the smallest. So to find somebody to hire to spray in a timely manner of when we needed it done, we weren't necessarily the highest on anybody's priority list. So we kind of fell to the bottom of the spraying list. And uh, yeah, we didn't have anything. We couldn't spray. So we decided we're not going to spray and we're going to go organic. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's an insult at all because my husband, you know, when you are a multi-generational farmer ranch, just my husband in his time right now, he's kind of in the prime of his ranching life. And there's a whole lot of changes he wants to and is starting to make. And kind of the same thing, like, okay, well, we've been doing this for 100 years, let's try something else. Right. Um, I think it's just laying a path for the future of the farm, whatever that may be, or yeah, ranch. So I don't think it's insulting at all. And I also something that, I mean, you don't talk about it a lot, because you, you're not usually talking about yourself on the podcast, but just from you and I getting to know each other when I ask questions, you guys put in, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about organic farming, especially online. Like you'll see like organic farms use spray too, and organic farms do this. Well, just from talking to you, it seems like you guys are out there like pulling weeds by hand or finding other alternative methods. And you have just from talking to you, I've learned a lot about organic farming that, you know, I didn't know. So I think people, do you feel like people misunderstand what you're doing because of just like any part of agriculture, but maybe some misinformation? Like, no, actually, we don't spray. Right. Well, yeah, and it's true. And there are things, I don't know if people know this or not, there are things that organic farmers can put on their crops. Things like fish emulsions and seaweed emulsions, that kind of stuff. Like, those are things that we are actually able to spray on our crops. They're all organic. Anything that we put on our crop, any inputs that we have has to go through our certifying body and be approved by them, which is overall approved by the organic standards of Canada and would be the same in the US, I believe. So yeah, there's definitely been times where even people have contacted me personally, and they are saying, well, my neighbor says they're organic, but I saw the sprayer out there. Well, unless you know what they're spraying, then you can't say that they're cheating or anything like that. And right. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation. And there definitely is 
a lot of misconceptions when it comes to organic farming. Same with conventional farming. There's so many misconceptions when it comes to conventional too, right? So it's just getting your story out there and setting the facts straight of what you actually do on your operation and having the stuff to back you up saying like, no, this is actually okay to be putting on this and this is why. Hey, all we'll get right back to our episode after a word from our sponsor. Nestled in the tree-filled mountains by Kootenai Lake in Nelson, British Columbia, KL Skin Naturals was founded in 2013 by owner Leah. KL Skin Naturals is known for their award-winning natural deodorant that I have personally been using since early 2017, and I can tell you from personal experience, it passes the farming test. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good knowing that the deodorant that I'm using is free from harsh chemicals and scents. All of their products are produced by hand from the very first measure to the very last label. Each recipe was worked, researched, perfected, and tested on family and friends who all agree that there's something unique to be offered in the effective products that Leah is making. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com to choose from their wide selection of clean scented natural deodorants, plus other natural skincare products such as fresh aloe skin cream, foot butters, and more. And now back to our episode. And that kind of leads me into a kind of more of a silly question. Maybe not actually that silly, but I know one of your methods for some weed control was to start having some livestock eat it. Right. And you are doing both goats and cows, but the goats, you had a a listener wanting to know if you personally eat goat at home. I personally don't. I actually have never tried goat. And the reason being, I'm not against it. I just don't think in my area, there are a lot of restaurants that serve goat there. You can't buy goat meat at the grocery store as far as I know. And this is only my second year in the goat business. And I haven't wanted to eat any of my personal goats, (laughs) except for Richard. Richard would have been (laughs) the only goat I would have ever eaten because he was awful. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah, no, I I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen goat in the grocery store. No. And like, even finding lamb sometimes is hard in our grocery stores here anyways. So yeah, it's more of a specialty meat. And a lot of like this year, for instance, I've sold a few goats off of the farm directly and the people have processed them themselves. So yeah, it's not a meat that's readily available. I'm not against trying it. I've heard you have to know how to cook it. It's very similar to veal. Like you have to know the proper way of cooking it or it might not taste great. So I'm open to trying it though. I will have to say it's not my favorite. I worked on a goat dairy and they ate goat every day. Every day. Every day. That's a lot of goat. (laughs) It is a lot of goat. I mean, you get used to it for sure, but it certainly was not my favorite. Right. (laughs) Actually, fun fact for you, October is goat meat month. I think it's called Goattober and it's to build awareness about eating goat meat. That's amazing, which is the number one consumed meat in the world. So it's not like we're the minority when it comes to not eating goat on a regular basis. So yes, yeah. This is another question, probably more of a serious one. Somebody wanted to know, and then there was a little story after, but she's new to the Instagram world and new to your podcast. And she is a city girl who met a farmer. And she was wondering if you get lonely on the farm. 
because you've talked a little bit about your friends not wanting to come out because of the smell and stuff like that. But she is said she was feeling really like lonely and isolated. And even though she has friends, it's not the same. Right. Yeah, I can 100% relate to that. Not growing up in an agriculture background and not kind of understanding the way of life that a farmer leads until I was immersed in it. Yeah, it is definitely, it's tricky. Like there are times where I definitely feel lonely, like I'm coming out of a season where I have felt lonely and still do at times feel lonely. But now that we're almost done harvest and getting into the winter, that's kind of the time where I can get off of the farm and go do things that fill up my own cup. So like, for instance, I worked at the gym this morning and then I knew I had to do this podcast, but I was like, nope, I'm going to stay and I'm going to spin. So I did that and that makes me feel better. So yeah, it's Good, hard. Yeah. And I know like for me, like I said, like my friends don't come out here a lot and I get that we're all adults and we all have lives. Like lots of my friends have kids already and like we all have our own things going. And there are times where I know I feel like I am almost resentful of them that they don't make the effort to come out here and see me when they know that I can't leave. But at the same time, I know like I have to make the same effort to try and include them or just send a message and just say, hey, how's it going? Like, you got to find the middle ground here because this is not their life. They don't understand it. And for me or for us to expect them to, I feel like that's almost too much. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. No, totally. And it's something I've caught myself doing a lot, like being resentful that a group of friends are on a vacation or even just out to dinner and it's calving season and there's no way I can leave. And then I realize that's my own fault. Like I can make this happen if I put in, you know, at certain times of the year or whatever. I think I just, I agree. It's, it's sometimes we're creating our own feelings and it's, you can get out there and do it. And but I do think you have to make an effort when you're, and like you said, today you're like, nope, I'm going to do something for myself. Mm -hmm. You just have to be conscious about it. It's hard. It's super hard. And like, I definitely get into the times and the funks where I'm just like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to anybody. And I'm yes. laying in bed at six o'clock at night watching Netflix. Like, and you know what? <laughs> it's I think it's okay to go through those. But as long as you get out of those funks and you know that there are people there that love you and support you, even though they're not physically there for you all the time. I know if I called up my best friend right now and said, hey, I need to talk, she would be there for me. So, Absolutely. This is kind of a fun one. What's the easiest part of farming? We talk a lot about the hardships. What's the easy part for you? Hmm. I think the easy part for me, ooh, I'm trying to think of the easy part right now because we're just getting out of harvest and there was nothing easy <laughs> nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think just the overall lifestyle is easy, right? Like we have the months and the weeks and the days that we work super hard, but then there's also that downtime, right? And I think even each day we have that downtime where we need to appreciate the lifestyle that we have, right? Like if I was in my old life, it's 1124 on a Tuesday, like I would be working at my desk trying to get everything done before I went on my one hour lunch break where I had to rush back kind of thing, right? So we have this lifestyle that I don't think a lot of people understand, but I also don't think is appreciated enough. 
we live, most of us, in beautiful places. We get to take care of animals and our families, and we get to grow food for people, which I think is the most rewarding part of it all. So I think that's the easiest thing to forget, but I also think that's the easiest thing to enjoy. Right. Yeah, that's a good answer. It is. I can't. I don't know. The easiest part. That's a really hard question. Yeah. Would, Who asked I that? Know how to that. <laughs> I have to go back. I didn't write their names down. I, I need to go back. So what changes do you and your husband want to make in the next 10 years? And she wrote a message after saying this is not a personal question, more of like what business changes on your farm are you guys like, what are your goals? Right. I think always like we're looking to expand. And if there's ever land around here that is for sale, like if that's a possibility for us, then expanding is always good. I think something that is important that we should focus on. And what I think is one of the hardest things is finding employees and creating an environment for these employees that they feel like a team and that they feel like they're appreciated and they feel like they're also working towards something that's bigger, right? Like for for us, like we always seem like we're strapped for the resource of people. Like we always need more people. And that's one thing of organic farming. I think that is a benefit is, well, because our growing season is a little bit more difficult and we have more labor intensive things, we're actually able to hire more people than we did when we were a conventional farm. So when Justin's dad did the farming operation without doing cattle and that kind of stuff, like the actual like crop growing and all that stuff, like they actually didn't need that many people. Like between Justin and his dad, they could probably have two full-time guys. Well, now I think at one point at Harvest, we had nine people. So like we're able to employ a lot of people, which is great for the economy, I guess, and for people to have a job opportunity on the farm. But also finding these people has been one of the biggest struggles that we've had. So I think that's something that we should focus on. And something that we've talked about is like with expansion comes, you know, the responsibility of finding employees that care about what we're doing here on the farm and not more or less just here for a paycheck. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But yeah, I think that's probably expansion is always a thing I have to for me personally and my goat slash cow operation I think next year I'm gonna I had 10 goats this year and that was too many goats for me (laughs) to just handle on my own so I think I have to take a, a look at my goat operation next year and maybe scale down a little bit on that but also, like I fell in love with bottle calves this year. So now I feel like I just want 10 bottle calves next year. But <laughs> those I are things I for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, we were talking earlier before we started, but I wish we were kind of closer and not in a different country because we could just trade back and forth here. Right. I could take your big ones and give them a good life and you could take the babies and bottle feed them because I hate that part. I don't understand why you. Well, I say I don't understand why you hate it, but I was talking, it was Thanksgiving this past weekend up here in Canada, and I was chatting with Justin's much younger cousin, and she was saying like how cute bottle calves are and how much fun it would be. And yes, it was fun for probably like the first few weeks. And then I was like, oh my God, I have to go out here and feed them how many more times today? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But when it's like 30 below, I don't know. It's just not 
yeah. But I've also been doing it for a long time, so I don't know. I always get excited when I get a bottle calf, kind of. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I don't really want to deal with this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is a funny one. It's a quick one. Do people ever think you're growing pot with your hemp fields? <laughs> and again, for people who haven't listened before, she grows hemp, not the THC kind, which I've learned the difference now. Yes. I would say probably when we first started growing it, however many years ago, we definitely had more people stop by the side of the road because <laughs> it, you know what? It looks the same. It smells the same, but I promise you it will not taste the same. So please do not steal the plants out of our field to oh, is that <laughs> dry a them thing? and smoke them. I never them. thought of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it will definitely not do what you think it's going to do for you. So, <laughs> and it's legal now here in Canada. So like, just go to the store and buy it. Like, it'll be okay. Have people stolen plants? Oh, I'm sure they have. Like, I haven't physically. It's not like you count. But. No, no, no. But yeah, no, there's definitely people that have stopped and looked. And I know like when Justin like first started growing it, like people would just drive by and their eyes would just be huge. They're like, what are you doing over here? And it's surprising <laughs> to me actually how many people, like if I post hemp plants or anything in the field on Instagram, how many people still ask me if we're growing marijuana? And like, I don't know the official rules on this, but I don't think you can grow marijuana outside. Like I know here, like when they're with the suppliers and stuff, like all of these are like grown indoors and have like big security fences around the buildings where it's grown. So yeah, I don't think you can grow it outside. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen, except my uncle's vineyard in California, um, <laughs> where the, he has illegal plots planted every once in a while. Yeah. And he died, but my cousin has it now. But I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen it outside. No. But that's funny. It'd be funny to drive by your farm. Let's no. see. Do we have time for one more? Oh, we have time for lots more. <laughs> okay. Hey, have you been over to shop Wild Rose Farmer lately? There are so many new great t-shirts, tank tops, stickers, and more. There's even official Rural Woman podcast gear now, including great t-shirts and hats. Feel good knowing when you're shopping on Shop Wild Rose Farmer, you directly support the Rural Woman podcast. And don't forget, members of the Wild Rose Farmer community save 20% off their first purchase. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com for all of the details. And happy shopping, y'all. So somebody asked, and I don't really understand 100%, but I think it's a kind of a good question. I hope we're going to get it right. But they were wondering, is the Canadian government supportive of farming? And I think maybe in the U.S., obviously, there's lots of the farm bill and all sorts of things to support agriculture and lots of programs. And I think they were wondering if you have the same in Canada. This is a question I feel like I should have studied for. <laughs> I would say <laughs> I would say yes and no. Like there are definitely times where there are bills or initiatives that come out that we all kind of cheer for and they're there we're like, yeah, they get it. They understand what we're doing. And then there's other times things come out and we're like, what are you thinking? So I think it's a yes and no. For instance, one thing that recently came out or that has been talked about with the provincial government in Alberta, they recently came out with a bill saying it was in regards to the animal activist group that came onto a turkey farm 
that was actually pretty close to where we are. And they did a sit-in with these turkeys. You, We talked about this, Annabelle. Yes, but, we did. Um, it's basically a bill against these animal activist groups saying that if you trespass onto these farms, like there are financial penalties for you. Also, like if you do it more than once, then you can go to jail for however long. So like I feel like that is a bill that is needed in this day and age that we live in, that these are happening more often to pig farms, chicken farms, turkey farms, whatever. Like, I know people were cheering for that one. And I also, like, we have a feedlot on our property. And once that came out with the turkey farm being so close to here, like, I know that was a concern for me. Like, these aren't our cattle in the feedlot, but the animal activist group wouldn't know that. And they would be invading our space. Like, it's just, it's really uneasy. And I know that it's happened a lot in the States. And yeah, so... I would say yes and no, like a bill like that is useful and I think it's a good thing. But then there's other things that they'll put a tariff on something or they'll say something with like pay for farm workers and that kind of stuff like that kind of throws us through a loop. But I would say overall, I think they're pretty supportive and they know that agriculture is a big piece of the pie up here in Canada. Right, because agriculture in Canada is one of the largest grossing I mean, isn't it one of the biggest incomes for Canada? Yes. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It is. Okay. And even there was a study that was done in my local area that the town that's closest to us, 50% of all jobs and the economy is from agriculture, whether it's directly with farmers or like indirectly. So whether like it's farm insurance or the railway or anything like that, it all has to do with agriculture. So like it's a big deal. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like even you were saying you're not the smallest farm in your area, but you're not the biggest. Nine employees is a lot right. on a farm. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. That's nine jobs. And it's nine mouths I to feed. Know. Like <laughs> Right. So oh yeah, that's my question. Did you have to cook for all those harvest meals? I, I am so happy and thankful that this year. I came up with a plan before we started and I had my mother-in-law and my mom helping with harvest meals this year. So I didn't have to cook nearly as much as I have in the past. So I was very happy that they were willing and able to cook for all of us most of the time. So I think I remember your mom being there and making like an insane amount of food. Well, we stocked up before we like got the party going here for harvest. So we went to the Costco and we bought as much as we could to make as many freezer meals as we could. So I stocked my freezer and then I would just call my mom or my mother-in-law and say, Kate, you got to cook tonight. I took this out of the freezer. Just throw it in when you get here and come and feed us kind of thing. So it worked out well. And I'm really happy that I had that support and the team behind me. Do you know what that is? What's that? It's a pro move. You're a professional now. Like you've got it. I'm a professional farm wife. I have delegated out my tasks of feeding exactly. people. <laughs> officially graduated. And now you <laughs> No, but it's important though. And it's something I take on a lot of those responsibilities and it can get really stressful. And it sounds silly, I think, to people like, oh, you're stressed out. You have to cook for this. Like that's weird. But it's a lot of pressure. And then sort of the hardest part for me is hauling food everywhere. Yes. And then you have to haul it back. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a big part of, you know, 
why people work. Sometimes a lot of people will say like, well, the meal is a big part of it. You know, we, we like a good meal. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> Another question was, you grow hemp, which is a unique crop. What are some of the other crops that you guys grow? And do you switch them on and off depending on soil health? So this year, what did we grow this year? There was some barley. We did some winter wheat, sunflowers. Sunflowers are actually still in the field in snow piles, but they're out there. Yeah, it kind of just depends on the crop rotation and soil health. So, And we also do a lot of intercropping. So with the hemp, we had beans in there as well. So we're getting two crops off of one field just kind of whatever is good companion plants for the hemp. But yeah, I don't ever say that we only grow, like we're hemp farmers, we grow a variety of different things. But yeah, winter wheat, barley, beans, hemp, sunflowers, kind of just a whole bunch of different stuff. What does the sunflower go towards? Is it bird seed or? They're meant for seed. Yeah, they were just meant for seed this year. I can't even remember what. Black something. I'm trying to remember what they are. Justin has a science experiment on my kitchen counter of sprouting them. So (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, There's a farm that's not that far from you that is a birdseed farm. And I don't know why. I mean, this is ridiculous. I've been in agriculture my whole life. And it didn't occur to me that there would be just like a full birdseed farm. Yes. But there is and it's cool. Well, and some some of our hemp is sold for birdseed as well. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was in birds. So you introduced me to hemp and now it's like my favorite thing to put on stuff. It's so So good. So I buy it all the time. It is so good. And I think like nutritionally, it's better than flax and what's another? Chia. That's another popular one. But if you look at the nutritional label, hemp is better. I don't love chia because if you add it to anything that has any moisture, it turns into frog eggs. And I don't like that. Yes. And it also gets stuck in your teeth more than anything else. That's not a exactly. scientific fact, but it's my reality. I think it's, I think that's pure science right there because it's gross. Yes. Frog eggs in your teeth. I'm going for the hemp. So I talked about it in the beginning, but throughout all of your interviews, and like I said, you kind of did a, a culmination of, I think you said that it was 25 so far. Is that right? 25? Yes. Yeah. What is... And, you know, I, we've talked about this a lot, but you have very different women from major conventional ag down to people who do it on the side, trying to make it their full-time job. What do you think is a common thread throughout that you see in everybody? I found one just in your, like listening to your first podcast of the 25, but what is your take on that? I want to know yours first. And I noticed this before, for sure, but I think it kind of like really drew it together. It's the connection with nature. And I think it's something that just in many countries, we have gone to urban areas and the disconnect from it is really major. And I think almost more so than the disconnect from agriculture, because agriculture is part of nature. So, but I think almost all of your interviews that I've listened to, somebody has mentioned it on some level. I don't know. Do you agree or am I? Yes, I agree. Well, I think just our occupation is to do with the land and to do with nature and without nature or the land, we don't have jobs, right? Like if we don't have the land to grow food on or, you know, the grasslands to graze or graze cattle on or anything like that, like we don't, 
we don't have an industry without the land. So I think, yeah, connection with nature is definitely a big one. I think the one thing that I've noticed through the 25 women that I've interviewed is everybody is doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have. I don't feel like anybody is an expert in their field. And I don't think anybody has claimed to be an expert in their field. I feel like everybody has said like, oh, well, they're just doing the best they can with what they have. And I think that's a common theme. And I think that's really humbling. Like, and I don't think a lot of these women give themselves enough credit for what they do on their farms, ranches, or homesteads. I think, you know, a woman in agriculture is one of the most powerful tools that you can have. Because if we don't know how to do something, we're going to figure out how to do it. And we're going to probably figure out how to do it in a different way than our male counterparts might. So I think that's something that I've noticed. Like every single one of these women are resilient as heck and are doing amazing things. So I think that's been probably, it's been the most inspiring thing to me for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, except me, I'm an expert in everything. (laughs) Right. I think, you know, your title of your podcast even had the word expert in it. So (laughs) yeah, and now I'm an expert podcast host. Yes. I just can't wait until you edit this and put it back up on like, so everybody (laughs) can hear it and everything. Like, I'm so glad all of this work is done for me, Annabelle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't know about that part. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. (laughs) Well, you have been a good sport and we appreciate you letting us ask you questions because like I said, sometimes you don't talk that much about yourself and there's lots of people that want to know more about what you're doing. And you did a fun one where you pulled questions out of a hat, but it's not the same as being on the spot. Somebody, somebody, drilling you. well, like a professional, like yourself drilling me, like it's a professional news. I mean, I don't understand why NBC is not calling me for their important interviews. It's very <laughs> true. I will put in a word with my contacts at NBC and Fox, CBC up here in Canada. Uh, <laughs> BBC, yeah, BBC. Let's yeah. get, let's get na- international here. <laughs> This has been so fun. Thank you for saying you want to do this. And thank you to the listeners for asking such good questions. And, you know, like you said, I don't talk a lot about me because I'm always interested in other people and what they're doing. But if anybody ever has any questions about anything, I'm an open book. You can always ask me anything too. So we kind of forced you into this. It was, (laughs) yeah, you didn't really have a choice. Yeah, it's very true. There was a lot of peer (laughs) pressure. We did a poll and yes. it was asking and it was like, you know, I won that poll by a landslide. So yes. thank except you. for those two people, you know, don't worry, I've dealt with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't bully your listeners, but I just want them to know if they're listening. You know, this was fun. <laughs> it was fun. You should do this again sometime. If, Absolutely. We're going to do like an annual Grill Caitlin podcast. I think yes. it should be an annual thing. Yes. Well, and for my listeners who want to connect with you, Annabelle, after the show, where can they find you? I'm very boring. Only on Instagram, and it's at Montana Ranch Wife. Right. And I am Wild Rose Farmer on every single platform you can think of. (laughs) Very fancy. Uh, You do Twitter and everything? Twitter and everything. Okay. I'm not very good at Twitter because I'm kind of scared of Twitter. But <laughs> it's well, it's confusing. It's hard to follow. I actually do have Twitter. I'm on yeah. Tanner like Twitter, but it's very hard for me to follow. 
we'll figure it out one day, Annabelle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. It was good to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.